Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Hallelujah. Good to be here today. How many of you love Jesus today in this place? Hallelujah. Amen. What a privilege and an honor it is to stand before this great congregation. Uh, Again, I certainly feel like I'm at home and amongst family when I'm here at Orangewood. Um, I'm certainly grateful that I can call your pastor my friend. He's a brother and a friend, and I love him dearly. And I pray that they're having a good time uh, away from you all at this particular time. So, um, And I believe this is being recorded, so uh, make them think that you love them and clap your hands for them right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we love you, Jeff and Katie. Have a great time wherever you are. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray as David said so wonderfully in the Psalms, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And Father, I pray today that those who would have an ear would hear what your spirit is going to say unto the church today, but not be a hearer only, but a doer of your word. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Cleanse us this morning with the washing of water by your word. For your word is truth. And the words you speak to us are spirit and life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Again, it's a great honor to be here. Certainly, um, it's uh, great to be amongst uh, friends again, and especially on this uh, day before a holiday and you're in church. So that's a wonderful thing. And I know a lot of people are traveling or away and visiting family, but nevertheless, we are here to praise God and we're here to worship. And certainly I pray that we can just add value to what God has already been doing amongst you, his people. Today, I want to talk to you about free to be a slave. And I thought that that title would be appropriate, especially when we look at the text of Scripture and also in light of our nation and what we're about to celebrate on tomorrow. My purpose today is to make sure that we as a nation, as Christians, return to slavery. Now, before you look at me crazy, obviously it doesn't mean what maybe you think it might mean, because if it does, it would affect me more than you. (laughs) Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. (laughs) And I want you to walk away today understanding that the kingdom of God is built by slaves. As we look in the word of God, Romans 6, chapter 12 through 22. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans, uh, the 6th chapter, 12 through the 22nd verse. And it reads, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin... You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. 
And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Last verse. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. As we define slave, it is a word that means a person who is the property of and holy subject to another. And when I read that, I think about the verse of scripture where the Bible says that we have been bought with the price, purchased in the blood of Jesus. And so we belong wholly to him, subject to Christ Jesus. Amen. It also means under the, under the domination of some influence. And as I read that, I think about Romans 8 where it says, they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, those who are dominated by the influence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. A slave. Slavery is defined as a civil relationship whereby one person has absolute power over another. Enter Jesus, who has and should have absolute power over you and me. It also means the subjection of a person to another person. And therefore, we are subject to Christ. It also means forced into work. And I know that there's a theme that is being preached here, rise up and build, as your pastor has been passionately preaching on no one left behind, I believe last week and week before that, um, proper work clothes. And I just want to build upon those messages as well. Pastor Jake's included in that message or one of those messages that leaders we need to have leaders that we can look up to and to be, have examples of integrity, Nehemiah being one of them. We got to go to work, as he said. Fight for your families, as he said. Put on proper work clothes. And I want to add putting on the clothes of slavery today. That God is looking for his sales force, as he called it, but I'm going to just put an appendage there and that God is looking for slaves. Hmm. Forced into work. Now, the reality of this is this. As Christians, we don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. As Christ has redeemed us, as he has delivered us, then we enter the words of James. I will show you my faith by my works. And so we work from our faith, but we don't work for it. Christ did it all on the cross. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's get, let me just give you a historical view of slavery and put this message in context. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians for about 80 years. Hard bondage. However, their total years of sojourning was about 430, 215 in Canaan, another 215 in Egypt. It wasn't all bad, but when a Pharaoh came up that knew not Joseph, he enslaved the people of God to the point that they would have hard bondage for about a period of 80 years. There are biblical laws concerning slavery, and you can find that 
not going to go through it. I'm not going to read all of this, but if you want to write it down, Genesis 17, Exodus 12, Exodus 21, Exodus 22, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 22, 24, 25, Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 23, Deuteronomy 24. All those chapters addresses or describes slavery in its context and its application. Now, let me just let you know this, because there was a dark time in our history as a nation that people of yesterday would use scripture to proliferate the idea of slavery here in America. And they would use scripture, and they would go back to these same chapters as we're talking about today in Exodus and Genesis, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But let me just let you know, just because something is descriptive in the Bible don't mean it is prescriptive in the Bible. Because God talks about something in the Bible doesn't mean it is a prescription for it. Slavery within the Old Testament context was sanctioned not for racial reasons as we found here in America, but more due to economic realities rather than racial or sexual prejudices. Slavery was America's original sin. According to Hugh Thomas in the slave trade, there was about 11,328,000 Africans that were transported to the New World between 1440 and 1870. Over 11 million. Of these, about 4 million went to Brazil. 2.5 million went to the Spanish colonies. 2 million to the British West Indies. 1.6 to the French West Indies. And 500,000 went to what would become the United States of America. So most of Africa's slaves did not even come to America. They went other places. However, a Dutch ship seeking to unload its human cargo brought the first slaves to Virginia in 1619. Over the next century, a small number of slaves were brought to America. In 1700, there were not more than 20 to 30,000 black slaves in all the colonies. But there were some people who spoke against slavery, such as the Quakers and the Mennonites and many Christians of that day. We know that slaves, by and large, helped to build the White House and the U.S. Capitol. Slavery is responsible for the Civil War between the North and the South. It was the people of the North that said that slavery should be abolished. And it was the people of the South that wanted to preserve their way of life. And they went to war for it. And millions of our fathers, our brothers, our cousins, our predecessors died as a result. Yet it ended officially January 1st, 1863. 87 years after our nation's birth, President Lincoln, who many in America would say is the most important or most popular or the number one president who have graced the White House, signed the Emancipation Proclamation January 1st. And I found out a few years ago, see, I'm old PK, I grew up in the church, and so my daddy was a pastor, and so every, I don't know what y'all do on New Year's Eve. And while other people might be partying, um, most African-American congregations are in church December 31st, and we call it Watch Night Service. See, I just thought we were in service because it was spiritual, it was in the Bible, and everybody who was saved had to be in church the day before New Year's. And anybody who wasn't in church, they was a bunch of sinners. <laughs> but I found out that it was the slaves watching in the night, waiting for midnight to come, understanding that January 1st meant their freedom. And so the churches have continued that tradition even today as they celebrate the new year and watch night services. 
So that didn't cost you anything. I just gave you a little history lesson just to let you know how smart I am. Finally, while the Bible as a whole recognizes the reality of slavery, it never promotes the practice of involuntary slavery. Biblical law does permit voluntary slavery because it recognizes that some people are not able to maintain a position of independence. Thus, the only kind of slavery permitted is voluntary slavery. And you can see that very clearly in Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16, where the word of the Lord makes that very clear. So how does this apply to the text of Scripture? I wanted to give you somewhat of a historical lesson, both nationally and biblically, and confront and deal with and talk about a word that maybe people would normally like to run away from. But here in the text of Scripture, Paul clearly tells us that God, is looking for slaves. The context of the book of Romans, AD 49, Emperor Claudius expelled Jews from Rome. And you can see that kind of codified in Acts 18.2. But after Claudius' death, the Jews returned to what would be a most predominantly Gentile church, which led to a bunch of cultural and racial tensions, which in many ways, the same could be said in our culture and sometimes even in our churches today. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther King who said it, that the most segregated hour on Sunday is 11 o'clock, where everybody, people of all different races and cultures will worship using the same Bible, singing the same hymns, But yet, we can't play together and we can't work together or we stay in our separate groups because it is comfortable for whites to be with whites and for blacks to be with blacks and for Hispanic to be with Hispanic when God made us all under one blood and we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's a good place for amen right there, right there. But as it was with Corinth, and we know Corinth, the church at Corinth, the city of Corinth had a lot of issues. Paul had to address these issues that emerged due to these Gentile converts bringing with them heathenistic and idolatrous practices. Romans 6, as we look at the text, it is sandwiched between chapters 5 And chapter 7, chapter 5 deals with Christ who reconciled us to himself, who justified us and who imputed his righteousness upon us, but did not impute our sins upon us. Uh, Chapter 5 shows us how that the blood of Jesus, how he reconciles us to himself. And that word reconciliation, the Greek word means to make those who were once enemies now into friends. We are friends of God. No wonder the, the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We are friends of the Lord. Amen. Jesus said, I call you friends and I'm glad that I can be called a friend of my Lord. He justified us. He he declared us innocent of all charges. Do you understand that no matter what you, everything that you've ever done in your life, because of the blood of Jesus, he canceled it away. We have been justified before him. Isn't that that good news? To know that you are guilty, but God declares you innocent. And we know there's one such person in the news, hope that they should get that rendering real soon. But the reality of it is, is this. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But he declares us justified. And then what I love about the Lord that he does not impute upon us 
or credit us with our sins nor deal with us according to our sins anymore, but he credits us. He imputes his righteousness upon us and declares us justified. And now we stand perfect before a holy God. That is good news. That is the good news that we all have awaited for. Amen. That's chapter five. And then chapter seven, though, is a little bit different. Chapter seven. It talks about the war that we have between our body and our mind. How many of you know we're at war? And that as a result of the law, it empowers our sins. Paul says, uh, uh, when the law came, sin revived and I died. Didn't know that I was coveting until the law said, thou shalt not covet. The flesh, our flesh loyalty is to sin. For where there is good, what? Evil is always present. Amen. Wherever you go, evil is always present. You want to know where evil is? Take a look in the mirror. The flesh, as we say, is a mess. And we're at war. And so we have chapter 5 that talks about the grace that he gives us. We have chapter 5 that gives us the good news of of the reality of his justification. And in chapter 7, Paul talks about the stuff that he's struggling with. And we all struggle with something. We all have issues. We all struggle with some sin of some sort. But sandwiched between those two chapters is chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, what shall we say then? And the the fact that you read those words, what shall we say then, is a reference to what was written before. And if you look at the end of chapter 5, it says uh, in the 21st verse, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. As sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through Christ. Amen. So then he says in the first verse, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And the answer is a resounding no. Shall we continue in sin to take advantage of God's grace? Absolutely not. Because we are saved and because he has delivered us, because he has set free, he set us free, we do not have the liberty to then do whatever we want to do because he has given us his grace. In other words, we should not frustrate the grace of God and we should not presume upon the grace of God because when he comes into our lives, if any man be in Christ, we should be what? Brand new creations, old things are what? Passed away, all things become new. Amen. Pastor Jakes in his recent message talked about offense and defense and in the defense part he said keep it pure. And that's what I'm talking about today. As slaves of Christ. Paul goes on to say in the 6th and the 7th verse that we are crucified with Christ. We have emancipation from sin. Amen. Abraham Lincoln gave us the Emancipation Proclamation that freed us from slavery here in America. But Christ has given us an emancipation from sin. We do not have to sin. Amen. We can live a pure and a dedicated and a righteous life before God. Hmm. Now our original verse... Our original birth, rather, made us (laughs) involuntary slaves of sin. You were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. You ever wonder, they probably doing over there with the children's ministry now. You ever wonder how you have to teach children one, two, threes and ABCs, but you don't have to teach them how to lie? You ever wonder why you have to teach them multiplication and division, but you don't have to teach them how to be selfish? 
Because as precious as they are and beautiful as they are, we were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and you don't have to teach little Johnny how to lie. Did you eat that cookie? No, and crumbs all around his mouth. No, that, was, that wasn't me. Mm-mm. And you can tell him not to do something or go someplace, and you want to do exactly the very opposite. Because sin is on the inside of us. There are people who, are, who talk about certain dispositions and certain proclivities that they may have and talk about alternative lifestyles and that people were born a certain way. Well, I'm not going to deal with the science of that, whether or not that's true or not. But the reality of it is, if in fact people can be born to have proclivities as a thief or a homosexual or a liar or whatever, the reality of it is you got to be born again anyway. Jesus said you must be born again because your first birth messed you up anyhow. And when we become born again as, as children of the Most High God, then he changes us and he delivers us and he sets us free. So Paul goes on to say in verses 12 through 14 that sin should not be our master. When I think about that, I go back to Genesis, the fourth chapter, the sixth and the seventh verse where God is now talking to Cain. The Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering. But when it came to Cain, he not only did not accept his offering, he did not accept him. But God tells Cain these words. He said, Cain, if you would have done well you would have been accepted if you would have done what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, God says. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be a master over sin. God tells a man, man in the beginning, as he was talking to Cain, you must be a sin master, not sin mastering over you. And if you would have, I would have accepted you too. So verse 16, here's a question. Let me just ask it the street way. Who's your daddy? (laughs) Who is your daddy? Jesus in John 8, 39 through 47, he tells Phariseeistic people that you are of your father, the devil. If Abraham was your father, you would love me. You would do the works of your father. But you are of your father, the devil. Because if God is your father and he is holy and he is righteous, then you would want to pattern and live your life according to his holy standard. So who's your master? Is it sin? Paul uses the word sin or obedience. Is it sin or is it obedience? And that word obedience is compliance and submission shown as we see in the principles of the Christian faith. Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Bless the people that curse you. Love your enemies. Do good to the people that hate you. Oh, yeah, because people are going to hate you. Beware if all men speak well of you. Everybody ain't going to say something good about you, so get over it. People, Jesus said to his disciples that the world is going to hate you. And it's not, they're not going to hate you because of you. They're going to hate you because of me, because I testified it. Paul says in another place that Christ is the rock of offense. He is offensive to people who don't know him. 
But to those who do, he is our life, he is our way, he is our truth, he is our everything. And so I don't seek to not be biblical, uh, 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 politically correct. I don't seek to not offend people. I seek to be an ambassador and a representative of my Lord. And if while I'm preaching or teaching and living, I tend to offend you, then so be it. Jesus went to the cross for it and we must take up our cross and follow him. We have to return back to holiness as a people, as a church, as a nation. We have to get back to the very thing that make us Christian. Amen. We are Christian. You know what that means? We are followers of Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a person and the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the question is, are you in relationship with him today? Paul goes on to say in verse 18 that having been freed from sin. Mean you're slaves of righteousness. In other words, you give yourself wholly to one's needs and service of integrity, of virtue, purity of life. That word integrity, that word, I mean, we can define it many ways, but in its simplistic form, it is who we are even when nobody else is looking. Are we men and women of integrity? Hallelujah. I know when we come to church, we can worship and we can sing songs and this is the atmosphere by which we can do that. This is an atmosphere of worship. But can we worship at home? Is the only time we open up the Bible is when we come to church on Sunday or do we open up the scriptures on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday because I'm in relationship with the Lord. I want to know him as he knows me. I want to know him and I want to know more about him. Hallelujah. And we're living in a day where there's a deficit of truth, a deficit of God's word. We're living in a time where it seems like the church is the most ignorant that it's ever been. When I say ignorant, we don't even know basic tenets of the faith, basic stories of, in the word of God, the things that make Christ, uh, that, that reveals Christ to us, the, the very word that paints the picture of him, we spend the least reading. What would happen if we read the scriptures before we read the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, or the Orlando Sentinel to see what the latest is on the Casey Anthony case? What would it be like if we knew scripture more than sports stats. What would happen when husbands and wives and fathers and mothers would read the scripture and study it to know how to be husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends? It seemed that there is a weakening of the visible church. We know God has a remnant, but God is also looking for people who will advance and build his kingdom. And just as many kingdoms and, 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 and many uh, nations in our history, both in America and beyond, use slaves to build because they can get and they know they can get um, good work out of slaves, so too God wants to build his kingdom with slaves. People that will be slaves of righteousness. People that will be slaves of the cross. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, as Paul would say. I'm, I, I'm subject to him. He said, you know, he said these words. He said, the spirit of God constrains me. When I would do a certain thing, the spirit of God constrains me. Being married for almost 24 years, there were many opportunities I could have taken advantage of to cheat on my wife. 
But why wouldn't I cheat on her? 24 years, I can testify. I've been faithful to her, but not in and of my strength. The spirit of the Lord constrains me. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't want to grieve God. I don't, it's not that, oh, I don't, I don't want to hurt my wife and I don't want to hurt her, but I don't want to hurt him. Because if I grieve his spirit, oh my God, I couldn't live without thinking, without thinking that God is somehow distant from me. The spirit of the Lord constrains me. I remember a young man as the age of 18 struggling in my young adult years. I exposed myself to pornography. And it did terrible things to my mind. And at the same time, I knew I was... I had given my heart to Christ at the very early age of 11 and lived my life unto the Lord in my junior high and in my high school years. I wasn't perfect, but there are many things that my friends did that I would not do because of Christ, not wanting to bring a reproach on him. But at the age of 18, because I was big enough and bad enough to, I wanted to go check out what triple X looked like. So I took my little 18 year old, I showed them my, my driver's license that I was now the man and I can go. And I, my mind got exposed to sickening things. And from that point on, it opened up a window and a door in my life to the, to this very day at almost 45, I still have to fight the good fight of faith. I can tell you I've been delivered. I can tell you it's not an issue with me. You don't believe it? I'll let you see my laptop. You can go through it if you want to. You can go through my phone. You can go through my desktop. But it's a fight. And I fight the good fight of faith because I don't want to grieve the Lord. And I don't want to be unfaithful to my wife because I can be in pornography. means you can be unfaithful in pictures and not just in reality. When I think about being a slave of righteousness, I don't know all about this man's life. But quoting from Ravi Zacharias in regards to a very well-known author named Henry Nouwen, it is said that Henry Nouwen struggled with homosexuality as a priest, as a man of God. But he took a vow of celibacy for the cause of Christ. He recognized that he struggled with it. It was part of his proclivity, his disposition, but he would not act on it because of Christ. All that speaks volumes to me because you may not struggle with the sin that I struggle with or with the sin here and now and struggle with, but you struggle with something. And let me tell you something about sin. The power of sin is the secrecy of sin. Anything that is a secret in your life has a stronghold over your life. That is why the scripture tells us, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The moment you can talk about it, the moment you can speak it out, the moment you can call it out, you are on your way to healing. But if you can't talk about it, you just want to hide and make everybody think that you just got it all together. You want people to think that, hey, I'm all that in a bag of chips with the Kool-Aid and the cookies on the side. Oh, yeah, we know how. We know how to look righteous. We know how to sing like we got it together. We know how to put our arms around our spouse in church to make everybody think everything's going on all right. But soon as the benediction and we get in the car, we don't even talk to each other. And we walk on the other side of the hallway when the other person's coming. And you sleep on the edge of the bed. You know that the the, the little cord that keeps the bed together, we sleep on that little part. But your back turned. I can't let nobody think. That we, 
because we're the outings. And people just think we got it together. We're all messed up people. You, I just realized it. I, and I can talk about it. I'm, I'm a nobody outside of Christ. All that I am, I am by the grace of God. Because outside of him, I'm just one big old fat nothing, zero failure. And the thing that really drew me and Jeff together, I was attending a couple of years ago the funeral, my good friend Scott Alexander, and he was, he was a member of our board, and I miss Scott dearly, a member of this church. And as I was leaving, Jeff said, hey, man, we had met each other a few times. And he didn't know I, at that moment I was at a breaking point. And as, as we hugged, it was right over there, in this section there, I just began to break down and cry. He said, man, come on, man, come on to my office. And he ushered me out into the office, and I just broke down. Just broke. And I just told him about what I was going through, told him about all the stuff that was happening, how much of a failure I was feeling like because of stuff that was going on in my family with my children because I thought I did all the right things right. You know, I'm one of those Dr. James Dobson students. You cross everything out. You do it right. Focus on the family. I even listen to it on the radio. I'm one of them good brothers, good disciples. And I crossed all of my T's and dotted all of my I's in terms of parenting. And then I, I started getting a different result and my children, and I'm saying, God, what did I do wrong? And I won't go into the details and all the things that we had to face for a period of about two years, but it was tough, and I was at a breaking point. And because uh, he was there for me, and I led him into my little crazy world, and we became friends and brothers, and And he led me into his crazy world. And we realized we're a bunch of crazy pastors. (laughs) And people still want to follow us. That's a strange thing to us. We're messed up and we're fallen people. But thanks be to God for his grace and mercy. Let me close. And talk about the outcomes. In verses 19 through 22. When Paul talked about being a slave of righteousness, he said it equals sanctification, meaning a consecrated heart and a consecrated life. My life is set apart unto him. And because I'm set apart unto him, as Job said in Job 31 and 1, I believe it's Job 31, it's one of the 30s, but I believe it's 31. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I even look upon a woman? Made a covenant with my eyes. Know you not that your body is the temple of God. He said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to him. We do not have the luxury to do whatever we want and go wherever we want and say whatever we want. Not if you are a slave, because a slave has no rights. A slave has been purchased. A slave is owned by somebody else. And a slave could not do whatever he wants. And we know that there was a dark time in history, even with Israel and even with people here in America. But as Christians, we're called to be slaves of Christ so that I am his ambassador, so I can pour out of my life unto him, that I can bear in my body, as Paul said, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ so that people will see Jesus and not see me. That is what we're called to do. And do the people in your home know that you are saved? It's amazing how we can love upon, be there for everybody else. How we can hug another brother's wife, but can't hug our own. How we can hug another woman's husband in the spirit of Christian love. They can't hug our own 
because we have issues. Hmm. And if you're not going to be a slave of righteousness, Paul said, then you're going to be a slave of sin, meaning death. And that word death means separation, separation from God. As an unbeliever, if you are a slave of sin, it really means separation from God totally. And not only that, that result would end up being separation eternally in hell. But if you are a believer and you are a slave to sin, that means you will be separated from not relationship. Because once you become a believer... You're a believer. I mean, your, your, your salvation is secure. But Paul talks about there'll be people that will stand before God, that their works will be burned up, but they would be saved yet as by fire. In other words, delivered from the fires of hell and be able to enter into heaven, but no works to accompany it. No rewards to accompany it. So if you are a believer and you are a slave of sin, you risk separation, not from God in terms of his relationship with you, but separation from God in terms of his fellowship with you. And you risk separation of the peace of God. We have peace with God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But when you walk a pure and slave-driven life unto him, you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I'd rather have peace of God. I'd rather lay down in my bed knowing that I have peace of God. Not only with God, but I have the peace of God. That I lived my life in integrity. That I can hug my wife and I can love upon her knowing that I was not in the arms of another woman. And that I can love up on my children and my grandchildren. And I can be a good neighbor to my friends. I'd rather have peace of God. And then finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, 27, he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. In the 27th verse, he says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It don't need to be preaching to you and preaching righteousness and holiness, but then I walk out of here and live a raggedy life. So I place my own body into slavery and I become a slave to all. Brothers and sisters, I am your slave. I am your servant. I'm not running from that word just because there was a dark time in history that was associated with that word. I'm not running from it. I'm not going to let the period of 1600 to 1863 hijack a term that God says every Christian should be. I'm a slave. But I'm free because whom the son says free is free indeed. But I'm free to be a slave. Hallelujah. Glory to the God of our salvation. So therefore, Orangewood, rise up and build. Build God's kingdom. Build. As the pastor and the leaders are moving you toward building and doing more in the community, rise up and build. But you can't build unless you embrace the spirit of slavery and realize it ain't about you and be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Many of us can't serve because, oh, that's it in the night. I just can't do it because it's in the night or they need me on the weekend. Let me tell you something. Thank God that Jesus don't think like us. But he left glory, came down, left the comfort of heaven, left the comfort of eternity, left the comfort of being with his father to come down here. He that knew no sin became sin for me that I then can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm grateful that he didn't think about his comfort. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, 
suffering the shame for my pornographic mess, my lustful mind, that messed up young man that the only thing he needs was Jesus. And so therefore the biblical law allows for voluntary slavery in the Old Testament. The spirit of it is still the same. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force slavery on you. It's involuntary. I'm sorry, it's voluntary. This army is voluntary army. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. I am free. And yet I'm bound. There's a story of a wild dog who was on a leash and he wanted to run wild and his master wouldn't let him. But he kept pulling. He wanted to run wild. So the master said, you know what? I'm tired of this dog pulling. I'm just going to let him run. And the dog runs wild and he just was free. I'm free, free, free. And he runs out there in the street and gets hit by a car. Don't die. And the master goes to him, mends his wound. And over a period of weeks, broken leg is now strong. Cracked ribs is now healed. And it was time for little Frisky to now go back outside. And the master was walking with the dog. But there was a difference. There was no leash. But guess where little Frisky was? Right by his side. Because though he was free to run, he knew the best place for him was right next to his master. Because there's safety with the master. Oh, I'm free to sin. I'm free to cheat on my wife. I'm free to be in my private quarters and look at pornography on my computer or on my smartphone. But my freedom, if I understand who I am, comes with responsibility. So therefore, I am free to be a slave. I choose slavery. What about you? Let us pray. Father, I thank you and I honor you. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart has been acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let your word go go forth and do what it is set out to do to challenge, to deliver, to strengthen, to build up and edify this body of believers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen.